Steve Crum of the Kansas City Kansan calls this film a fascinating, original, definitely ahead of its time fantasy. Jeffrey M. Anderson of Combustible Celluloid calls it a classic example of pre-code Hollywood getting away with all kinds of Depression-era madness. And Michael W. Phillips Jr. of Goat Dogs Movies says, of all the crackpot political films to come out of Hollywood, this is surely the crackpottest and must really be seen to be believed. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Gabriel over the White House. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! How goes it, Dan? It goes well for me. How does it go for you, Dan? It goes. It goes. I uh, whenever I hear the name Jeffrey Anderson, uh, my name is Anderson. <laughs> yes, I think of Soap Dish instantly. So when uh, the uh, there are, I think a couple of film reviewers named Jeffrey Anderson, and uh, yeah, they always make me think of Soap Dish. I think we've we've kind of cited the Jeffrey Anderson, the, the same Jeffrey Anderson, a few times, and it's just it's fu- what's funny is uh, so today we're recording this on February fifteenth, twenty twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I hope you're checking to make sure I got the yeah. date right because I'm not a hundred percent. But uh, so today, uh, one of one of the like just Twitter things happening today has been like a post a line from a movie that only right. its fans would yeah. know and among the many lines that came to mind was like stop calling me mr loman <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then just a bunch of other kevin dish. klein lines soap dish is so great it is but that's not what we're here to talk about no 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 we're we're here we're talking about uh we're going going to the back wall deep tracks here uh yeah. to talk about Gabriel over the White House right and uh before we talk about Gabriel over the White House there's a couple of little sequel prequel reboot remake uh news bits uh the one that I've seen posted about most is the Mr. and Mrs. Smith television series uh, that is coming out with Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Donald Glover. So uh, I am excited about that. That's such a cool pairing. And uh, the, I mean, the the movie Mr. and, Mis- uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith was, you know, it was good. It's fun. It's fun. I think that for most people, the appeal is watching uh angelina jolie and brad pitt during this controversial time in their personal lives and uh but i think that the movie definitely holds its own and i think that in the hands of people like phoebe waller bridge and donald glover i only see it going in interesting different directions yeah, it, it definitely set up a lot of it would actually be, a, I, I guess, prior to this announcement uh, would have been an interesting film to talk about because it does set up. There's there's a lot of things that are kind of periphery to the main plot of Mr. and Mrs. Smith that uh, that are like call for speculation. 
But, you know, this is Mr. and Mrs. Smith was the movie that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie got like first got together on. Right. As it was originally controversially. Yeah. Well, he was with uh, Jennifer Aniston at the time, I think. Indeed. Yes. It's hard. I can't keep up. Famously. Famously, yes, with Jennifer Aniston. And uh, it was originally supposed to be Nicole Kidman. Playing oh, was it really? Yeah. And for so, I don't know if it was like she had an injury or for some reason uh, she it did not. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, as we all know, and as now it'll be, know. I guess, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It'll be interesting to see how closely if it's if they're kind of trying to reboot it with the same plot or build off of what's already been established so i guess we'll we'll wait yeah. and see i know i'm excited and uh one other piece of news is that uh there is a sequel in the works for face off have you heard about this is it a sequel or a remake so what's interesting is the article that i saw on ign.com the the headline is actually um, face-off sequel in the works with Godzilla vs. Kong director, but when I saved the link, they must have updated it. Yeah, they updated it, because when I saved it, it definitely said that it was going to be a remake. And uh, it says, contrary to reports regarding this project to date, director Adam Wingard, um, the Godzilla vs. Kong director, uh, has clarified that his face-off film will be a direct sequel to the 1997 action movie, not a remake or reimagining. And it quotes him by saying, I would never reimagine or remake face-off. It's a perfect action movie. Simon Barrett and I are writing a direct sequel with little smiley faces. So uh, that's exciting. Okay. All right. I'm willing I guess. to ride this wave and see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I I I have mixed feelings about Face Off. Um, Ooh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know if it's one that that we'll come back to at some point. But um, I first of all, I, I with as with a lot of movies, I think it's about twenty to thirty minutes too long. And un and unlike other movies, I think I could. I, I could probably pick at least 20 minutes to, okay. to cut from it. Uh, I dislike, I, I shouldn't say I dislike, but to, for me, Nicolas Cage so outweighs Travolta at, in both roles. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't like the Travolta, like the, Travolta acting crate like acting crazy Travolta the, right ain't, ain't it cool like in Broken Arrow uh <laughs> yeah and I I just I don't enjoy him in in those roles he always seems like he's playing it up like he's like he's desperately trying to not be likable and be crazy whereas Nicolas Cage it is just everything all at once yeah I thought that totally. Nicolas Cage was better, you know, as both uh, Caster Troy right. and and as whatever John Travolta's character. See, I can't even remember the character's uh, yeah, name. Yeah, it's the less interesting one, that's for sure. The guy who touches his family's face a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's just some other weird 
stuff in that. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't love it as much as, as much okay. as others do. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So, Fair enough. Uh, Dan, is there I, anything else you want to talk about with uh, the last movie that we watched? The man starring James Earl Jones. No, I have nothing to add about that. Uh, uh, the only yeah. thing I want to say is that the more I think about it, the more I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that we uh, gave ourselves the opportunity to watch it. And I feel very similarly about the movie that we're talking about today, Gabriel Over the White House. Yeah. And before we move into that, though, I do have some, uh, you know, we're celebrating black excellence, yes. uh, particularly in film and cinema. So I. Uh, I I I I have to bring in I've got I've got some more trivia for you here. Let's hear so, it. So this man was the first African American director uh and he I will give you a little bit more information. He was the the first person to or he's the first African American uh filmmaker who formed his own movie production company. In um, and in 1919, he made his first film called The Homesteader, and it starred uh, um, an African American actress named Evelyn Preer. Oh, cool! I'm so, not going to know this one. I I already throw in the towel. Yeah, so we're talking about Oscar Michaud here. Okay. Who uh, was uh, born? At, he was one of eleven children of former slaves. He was born uh, near Metropolis, Illinois. Grew up in Great Bend, Kansas, and uh, he also home he homesteaded a farm in an all white area of South Dakota, and huh. he um, he based his his film. Um, he didn't base the homesteader on that, but uh, in uh, the film, the his film, The Exile, which was the first uh, talkie he made, first feature okay. film with sound he made, uh, the, the central character moves from Chicago to buy and operate a ranch in South Dakota. He is also known for introducing the world to Paul Robeson in oh. the film. And he, yeah, he was the director of Body and Soul. Okay. So, um, I very interesting. Admitted, admittedly, have not seen any of his movies, but he produced. He was producing films from 1919 all the way through 1948 to his, oh, his wow. last film, uh, Betrayal. Wow, he that's also, a long stretch. Yeah, he wrote, produced, and directed 44 feature-length films and wrote seven novels. One of them was a national bestseller. Wow. What's really interesting is that when you look at filmographies for a lot of, especially actors during the 20s and 30s, you'll see like like 75 films. But then you look at the years and then it's all within like four years. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they just don't have the types of shooting schedules that they do now where things, you know, can take months and months and months, but they just knocked them out. I mean, it was also one of those things where it's like you worked for a studio and you, they put, they, yep. you went from On to one the next one set yeah. to the next. 
Uh, he, and let me see if there's anything uh, else I should include. Yeah, so I guess the one other film of his that I want to point out is uh, his film Within Our Gates, which was, I don't know how overt it was, but an attack on the racism in mm -hmm. The Birth of a Nation. D.W. Oh. Griffith's, uh, you know, movie all about, uh, the Ku Klux Klan the and Klan, how awesome yeah. they were, according to D.W. Griffith. <laughs> right, yeah. No, yeah, yeah no, not, not according to- Not our opinions. No, yeah. no, no. But that's what I, I actually, if I was going to pick one Oscar Michaud film to watch, I'd be really interested to see that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Although so, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, Michaud films to choose from. That's for sure. There certainly are. So I, uh, incur you know, it's like to have never heard his name before to not, to have not known his name. I feel like that's, you know, like that's, that's where we got to start. So, right. And I feel like that's something that a lot of modern cinema is, seems to be doing lately is telling these stories of these lesser known people in black history and um, I mean, I just watched Judas and the Black Messiah. And, you know, those are people who are extremely important figures that either they get overshadowed or they are kind of stripped from history a little bit. And like Fred uh, Hampton, Fred Hampton, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, Bobby uh, Seale is probably Bobby Seale is the one that, you know, the Black best. Panthers, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then ab absolutely. Fred Hampton is one that like isn't really talked about that much. And I think that uh, the portrayal of him by Daniel Kaluuya uh, is is excellent. And Lakeith Stanfield, as any of our listeners know, we love Lakeith Stanfield, um, yeah. is awesome as he was the the FBI informant who went uh undercover in the black panther party in chicago but yeah. uh yeah just uh such a a great fascinating story and yeah it's these it's these people who have been part of black history that we don't ever hear about and their names get buried and yeah it, it's cool to find out about them so dan thank you for educating me as well as probably our listeners. Uh, I mean, if if anybody out there uh, is familiar with Show and wants to talk about him at all, you can email us at uh, ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com or uh, give us a shout on some of our socials. But yeah, cool. Yeah, well, I'm glad, I, you know, I just, it, this is, I feel like this is the platform and, you know, this hey, is the response. Black History Month and uh, yeah. this is what we have to be doing during it is educating ourselves about black history it's what we want to be doing yeah and uh we are actually recording this episode on president's day and uh, as we are actually wrapping up our month of movies that are all about fictional presidents we we kicked it off with dave then we brought it around to air force one we've got the man and then this one is the first ever depiction of a fictional president on film gabriel over the white house oh yeah. it was really fascinating 1933 yeah and it's on march march 1933 uh, go right. ahead john yeah uh it's on uh turner classic movies i believe if you have their 
platform to watch on, um, as well as Hulu. If you have the live TV function on Hulu, you can watch it there. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's really fascinating. It really predicts a lot of things. It's, it's so always so relevant in a lot of the things that come up in this. Um, but Dan, before we go too far, should we do a synopsis? Go for it. Okay, so uh, getting into this, I I want to just mention, you know, this is historically significant because this is the first depiction of a fictional president on film, but uh, it's another first. Um, Dan, you know, it, especially in the 90s, a lot of movies did uh, songs that kind of maybe played during the ending credits that talk about the, they lay out the whole plot of the movie. Right. I think that Gabriel over the White House might be the first movie to ever do that. And it does it with a song that comes up over and over and over again in the movie Battle Hymn of the Republic. And I found it and I want to play it for you. president seems like a really awesome guy but he doesn't give the darndest if the jobless live or die then he injures his cabeza making him see eye to eye with victims of the depression gabriel over the white house Senate think that he's out of his mind, so he declares martial law for the good of humankind, and he makes all of the members of his cabinet resign and sets up a federal jobs program. Gabriel over the White House. Also victim to a really awful dude A mobster named Nick Diamond has a rotten attitude He and his associates are not able to collude Cause the president daughters them dead Gabriel over the White House Gabriel over the White House Gabriel over the White House There's no agenda includes one more hanging threat he wants international debt and conflict put to bed so he signs a big peace treaty before keeling over debt and he signs with lincoln's quill gabriel over the white house Isn't that Bruh. something? Wow. Yeah, you really didn't see that pop up until much later. 
the eighties, maybe maybe some in the seventies, but I yeah, feel like really the Dragnet rap might have been the first one in nineteen eighty seven. The Dragnet the, rap, that's right. The Dragnet rap, yeah, uh, yeah. So this movie, it's all about uh, President Judd Hammond, played by Walter Houston, father of John Houston, grandfather of Angelica Houston. Uh, he won the Oscar for Treasure on the, of the Sierra Madre. I. Uh, it's also got, and I'm not going to know how to pronounce his name, Franchotone? Franchotone? Franchotone, uh, who mm-hmm. plays Beak, uh, Hartley Beekman, who's the secretary to the president, uh, who was nominated for an Oscar on Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, and, you, you know, he was married to Joan Crawford. He made some appearances on The Twilight Zone. I. Uh, we've also got Karen Morley as Pendy, Pendula Malloy. Uh, she was blacklisted in 1947. She testified before the House of Un-American Activities Committee and refused to answer questions about her alleged uh, Communist Party membership. Um, she maintained her political activism for the rest of her life. And in 54, she ran unsuccessfully for lieutenant governor of New York on the American Labor Party ticket. So I I wonder if she was either inspired by this movie or if this she she was in this movie as, you know, because of her personal beliefs, because so much of this movie is, you know, it's depression era and somebody's got to do something about this huge national problem and this guy who becomes president, President Hammond, you know, he just got in there to like, you know, keep the party alive and keep the party, you know, at the top of the at the top of the heap and uh, is is kind of pushing everything off as local problems and trying not to get involved. But, yeah, it's a really dense movie. There's a lot going on. And there's so much going on that doesn't doesn't only uh foreshadow more recent events in yeah. in political history but eerily foreshadows things that were about to happen or very, were very happening soon. yeah yeah so and to well, put it yeah, in perspective we'll get, to, we'll oh, get okay. to that a little bit later for sure yeah what, what were you going to say Oh, I was just going to say, so, like, in, in so this comes out in March 1933. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is inaugurated in January 1933. So there's a, it's this weird kind of parallel because as as we heard in in the brilliant song there. Um, you know, he creates a federal jobs program, and this yeah. was. Kind of before the New Deal, yeah, uh, but not long. So it's really, uh, it's really fascinating to think how this movie that has been largely forgotten might have been a, a pretty significant influence. Totally, totally. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, so just speaking about the film itself and the. You know, it starts off with the inauguration, which, you know, having just watched an inauguration, I was I got to say they did a really good job of, um, you know, making it feel like an inauguration. I mean, seeing all the people hanging on the Capitol building the way that they were uh, plays a little bit differently Uh, after the events of uh, the other month. But um, it's certainly very 
uh, yeah, very surprising to, you know, see it and be like, wow, they, you know, for 1933, they, they did a really good job of kind of replicating the situation, considering the fact that, like, there haven't been, I mean, I'm sure that there were movies that featured non you know, actual presidents well, leading Walter up to Walter Houston, I think, had played Abraham right. Lincoln prior to that this. That is true. That is true. So, uh, but it's still, it's very early cinema. They don't have a lot of the things dialed in as much as they certainly do now. Well, also you don't have without television, I suppose you have newsreels, but really you don't, people aren't, you know, the, the mass public is not going to be as familiar with what an, I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. You're going to see pictures in a newspaper or something, a newsreel, but it's not like everyone's watching it on CNN. Yeah, no, I mean, any movie that has come out since, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of the man uh, did this as closely, but, you know, the 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 sofas in the Oval Office, I feel like every movie nails the, like, kind of boring looking sofas that are actually in there. You know, they, they know exactly what to do now, but at the time it was like, yeah, no one cares what the Oval Office actually looks like, so mm-hmm. we'll give them a close approximation. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, yeah, yeah, I wasn't watching it for the accuracy. No, but, you know, it's something that I think about because there, we've seen so many things that feature recreations of the inside of the White House and seeing how some of them have, uh, a lot of them have the same, they share the same set. And, you know, some of them just have very similar ones and you kind of see the differences between them. It's just interesting to kind of observe that, especially as we're watching a lot of these different president movies not that air force one had any oval office scenes but no but um, the man and and dave certainly did certainly yeah and so yes the beginning of this movie he is just his regular self and he's kind of i don't know uh a jerk (laughs) he's no he's a night he's a nice guy but he should not be president and actually this is one exchange that i wanted to play uh mirroring that Did I keep my promise, Judge? Well, I'm in the White House and considerably worried. Why? When I think of all the promises I made the people to get elected. You had to make some promises. By the time they realize you're not going to keep them, your term will be over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, he's... Well, he's... He's the figurehead for for the party. I don't believe it's ever specified. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all about the party. There's, you know, they are very clear about that. Yeah, and very clear about what they want him to to do as as president. What the agenda is. Yeah, and I, I also I'm going to play another clip, and this is his very first uh, meeting with the members of the press. You know, they all kind of just gather into a tiny little room, and they. Uh, it's a little bit different from the way that we see it nowadays, but, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting and, and you'll just see how he's not interested in actually doing anything. Does the president intend to grant John Bronson an interview? The president didn't catch the name. John Bronson, the leader of all the unemployed. The president considers John Bronson a dangerous anarchist. If he comes near the White House, he will be arrested. The president hasn't forgotten that Bronson heads a million men who are armed and unemployed. In the last count, there were 270 camps of these men in the public parks of our larger cities. The president considers the whole question of unemployment a local problem. 
Is the administration going to take any action on the racketeering that's rampant in the country? Are notorious gangsters like Nick Diamond going to get away with it? My party also regards Nick Diamond and all racketeers as local problems. We choose to believe that bootlegging and all forms of racketeering will disappear as soon as the public become educated to respect the 18th Amendment. Mr. Thiessen. Mr. President, my paper's indictment against the government is a staggering one. Starvation and want is everywhere, from coast to coast and from Canada to Mexico. Millions of dollars are poured into new battleships. Farmers burn corn and wheat. Food is thrown away into the sea while men and women are begging for bread. Men are freezing without coats while cotton rots in the fields. Thousands of homeless, millions of vacant homes, over 5,000 gangland murders last year, yet only five gangsters in prison. Not for killing, but for income tax violations. What does the new administration say to this? What answer? What definite plan has the government to this indictment? This tale of misery and horror, of lost hope, of broken faith, of the collapse of the American democracy. Young man, I shall answer you directly. And through you, I shall speak to all of my countrymen. America will weather this depression as she has weathered other depressions. Through the spirit of Valley Forge, the spirit of Gettysburg, and the spirit of the Argonne, the American people have risen before, and they will rise again. Gentlemen, remember, our party promises a return to prosperity. May the president be quoted? The president may not be quoted. Yeah, and that's a big thing about him refusing to be quoted. Well, refusing to be... It, it's so crazy, like, that clip, that press conference foreshadows so much of what happens throughout the rest of the film. Oh, it lays out everything. and it's, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so this is right before he gets into this car accident. He is, as they say, the first president to ever drive himself, and he's just like speeding down the road and gets into an accident and the doctors are just like yeah no he gonna die and then some like wind goes through the window and the curtain blows a little bit and something just changes in him and he just wakes up a different person and you know his views on everything are completely flipped around and he has this sudden urge to do right and to solve world peace. And he also is, he goes from viewing John Bronson, who's the leader of, they call him America's, un, the Army of the Unemployed. Yeah. Who, and he goes from viewing, from painting John Bronson as public enemy number one to, to seeing his cause as the, as like his top priority. And yeah, and he wants to, you know, reach out and he wants to connect with all of these unemployed people and be the president of those people and not just be someone who's, uh, I guess, just keeping the status quo. Yeah, which is what he's been doing. He's keeping the powerful in power and yeah. leaving people like Nick Diamond alone and upholding the 18th Amendment uh, prohibition. Yeah, and it's like he believes in uh, uh, trickle-down society. And it's just like, you know, the the people who are 
you know, up on top and have jobs will prosper and, and everything will work itself out. And the and the people who don't have jobs, they're going to lift themselves by the bootstraps and they're going to figure it out themselves. It's the American way. And it's just like a total BS statement, you know, putting it onto oh. everybody else. Yeah. Just invoking like, yeah, just invoking, um, you know, the, rev- the American Revolution, the Civil War. Yeah. And all that, and he's, yeah, he, he's just full of shit. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, so the the theory, and I'm actually going to, uh, to play a little clip from this, but uh, after he has kind of made all these changes, and this comes just a little bit later, but um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Beak and Pendy, uh, mm-hmm. Beekman, who's his uh, secretary, and Pendy, who is uh, Beek's assistant. But uh, at the beginning of the movie, she's just like the president's uh, mistress. You know, well, mistress. Not mistress. Well, not mistress he, because he's not, he's not married, but like you know, his, his lover. His lover. And uh, then after everything changes, he's you know he no longer calls her Pendy. He calls her Miss Malloy. Uh, he makes a big deal about calling Beekman Beak at the beginning, and then he starts calling him Beekman. And uh, yeah, so I'm just going to play a quick little clip of, of Beak and Pendy having a little chat. What's the matter, Pendy? I've just seen something. He didn't know his own words, Beak. What? And then he lifted his head for all the world as if he were listening. There's something in the room that made me shiver. And then he just smiled and said, yes, of course. What do you think it means? Well, we felt from the beginning that the president was really two men. But I became aware somehow tonight of a third being. I know that sounds impossible. I'm not a very religious person, Beak, but... Does it seem too fanciful to believe that God might have sent the angel Gabriel... To do for Judd Hammond what he did for Daniel? Gabriel, I thought he was a messenger of wrath. Not always. To some, he was the angel of revelations, sent as a messenger from God to men. Hmm. Gabriel over the White House. Had to get that titular line in there. Well, of course, yes. Uh, the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There, um, yeah. And, and yeah. honestly, it's like, okay, that's what this movie is kind of about. You know, it's like it's the mechanism to get all the other points across. And uh, I think that it's effective. And I like the way that she says that she's not a religious person. Uh, you know, otherwise, it makes it sound like. You know what? I know exactly what this is. It's the yeah. angel Gabriel. Where, but you know, her skepticism about like the existence of that type of thing is, you know, makes it feel a little bit more like the audience watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's legitimate, and I I guess so. A lot of while watching this movie, I just was making so many comparisons and connections to uh to recent history to the mm-hmm. uh to the Trump presidency to uh what's even through what's been happening with the impeachment hearings with Republicans you know I guess putting 
party over over country and that's uh you know what they say in the um cabinet meeting after he i think it's after he gets into the accident uh uh-huh and and they say no matter what happens the party comes first yeah uh not to be just like playing clips all the time but let's just well, hear a little bit of that yeah no you what's all the rush about i don't know myself oh why didn't he see us before We've been waiting for him for two weeks. Yeah. Don't forget, Judd's been a sick man. Now, boys, let me handle this situation. All right. All right. I've known Judd longer than any of you. He's been a very sick man, and we've got to humor him. Yes, but we've got to think of the party. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, no matter what happens, the party comes first. Yes. 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 President. Please amid all condolences. Conserve your sympathy for the people of the United States who are in dire need of it. Sit down, gentlemen. We're confronted with an ugly situation, Judd. A lot of things have come up since your accident. Yes, I know. I mean the army of the unemployed. Bronson and his gang. Yes, I know. They're getting ready to march on Washington, a million strong. We didn't think you knew. Naturally. I call on you as Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy. Give me authority to mobilize and keep these ruffians in their camps. You want to declare war? We've got to uphold the law. What law? Something must be done at once or this armed mob will descend on us. Run riot all over Washington. Every citizen of the United States should be ensured the elementary necessities for keeping life within his body. This cabinet, every member of Congress, each office holder, is answerable directly to the public conscience. Gentlemen, I refuse to call out the army against the people of the United States. What are you And I refuse to accept that. Discussion on this subject is closed. Now be careful. I might resign on you. Your resignation is accepted. Oh, well, now wait a minute, Judge. I was only suggesting... Your resignation is accepted. You have my permission to withdraw. I love it. I love how he's just like, I'm not going to take any bull from any of you. Oh, you want to resign? Fine. You're fired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love it. He does it uh, later on when they're getting ready to, I mean, they're talking about the 25th Amendment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's great. Uh, I could just play clip well, after clip after clip. They're, they're, the one thing that I wanted to mention, though, uh, going back to what you're talking about with uh, our most recent administration, the Trump presidency, uh, just imagining what if, like, during that... Uh, eclipse when he looked up at directly at the eclipse he actually like slipped into like some sort of coma and the and the angel gabriel took over his body but actually bestowed wrath rather than uh glory like uh like in this movie the but the wrath instead like the way that beak suggested uh yeah i mean no (laughs) but he it's and it's crazy because he goes like you're rooting for him as he's making he like he goes to Baltimore where the army of the unemployed is as they're marching towards Washington and he goes to like to be with with the people and he's you're really rooting for him and then he basically like it goes in front of Congress and they're like, we're not going to have, he, he screw he, it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to play it. Yeah. Gentlemen, I am here as a representative of the American people and there are of darkest despair. 
A plant cannot be made to grow by watering the top alone and letting the roots go dry. Trickle down. The people of this country yeah. are the roots of the nation and the sturdy trunk and the branches too. You have spent $4 billion only to aggravate adversity. I ask for $4 billion to restore buying power, stimulate purchases, restore prosperity. You have wasted precious days and weeks and years in futile discussion. We need action, immediate and effective action. Mr. President, there is a movement in Congress for your impeachment. Hardly the time for making any requests, however small. Very well. I shall withdraw that request, but I would like to substitute another. I ask you, gentlemen, to declare a state of national emergency and to adjourn this Congress until normal conditions are restored. During the period of that adjournment, I shall assume full responsibility for the government. Mr. President, this is dictatorship. Senator Langham, words do not frighten me. But the United States of America is a democracy. We are not yet ready to give up the government of our past. You have given it up. You've turned your backs. You've closed your ears to the appeals of the people. You've been traitors to the concepts of democracy upon which this government was founded. I believe in democracy as Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln believed in democracy. And if what I plan to do in the name of the people makes me a dictator, then it is a dictatorship based on Jefferson's definition of democracy, a government for the greatest good of the greatest number. This Congress refuses to adjourn. I think, gentlemen, you forget that I am still the President of these United States. And as Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, it is within the rights of the President to declare the country under martial law. Yeah, so, and I apologize, I said 25th Amendment before. There was no 25th Amendment at this point. Mm, yeah. I meant impeachment. Yeah. And... It, He's this is where it gets really like for me as an audience member, uh, this was one of my holy shit moments where I was just like, uh, I, he's got the right idea, but he's I like he's going too far. He's declaring uh -huh. yeah. martial law. He is he establishes the federal police, which is like the Gestapo. Yeah. And it's this which, by the way, we are in March 1933. Hitler in January 33 becomes chancellor of Germany. And March 1933 is when his powers really expand mm -hmm. with a lot of the same rhetoric and a lot of that. Yeah. that like, you know, the people are suffering and it's so tricky. And for, um, like, I'm not that well versed in cinema of the 1930s, but like, it's so ambiguous. And so there's so much of a conflict in, like, I really want to root for this guy. Yeah. But he's not letting democracy take its course where the people and, and I mean it's like today 
there's so much with Citizens United, there's so much money and, and gerrymandering and redistricting. There's so much corruption, not to say that there wasn't then, but there's so much corruption that keeps there from being a fair and honest election in, in many cases that, I mean, if you look at, you know, the uh, governor's election of Georgia, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or, or for Florida, uh, you know, along a lot of other, um, elections that, that have, that have happened in, in recent memory. It, I, it's interesting that to go back this, this far and see him saying like, democracy is not working right now and but and maybe to say like especially if he was just elected if this is like the first year of his term oh yeah that that like we can't you know we can't wait that long and there's there's an emergency there's a national emergency and he declares martial law and and like shuts down congress and yeah and like Here's the thing is who knows what this movie would have been had it been made a year later, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Whereas at the time, this was likely written, you know, before Hitler really started to rise to power. Uh, But also, you also have to remember that this isn't the character President Hammond speaking as himself. This is if we are to go along with (laughs) this theory that it is the angel Gabriel, you know, speaking through him. So this is essentially like, uh, humans messed up earth. God tells Gabriel, go fix it, do it through this guy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a person who's saying, you know, taking, tearing down their own countries, uh, you know, foundation of democracy it's it's a it's another being who's just kind of like you know erasing the chalkboard and and redrawing everything well except that it's not and and yeah i guess it 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 does have this global reach because he he has the the washington covenant the the agreement that that all of the world leaders sign that he kind of strong arms them into signing oh yeah totally he threatens them yeah and it's yeah. it's crazy because he's still and with recent memory it's kind of like thinking like well what if one person had multiple personalities and it was like one of one side is trump and the other side is bernie yeah. because we've heard we've heard trump's talk about uh countries paying their debts yeah and th- that's something that he says the, those debts have got to be paid well like i said you know we have 90 years of knowledge of, of what actually has happened, you know, uh, that well, this movie, it's it's all, it seems like a fantasy, you know, to imagine that there would be a lot of these, you know, conversations that actually do happen. And, and some of them, like you said, happened very soon after. Well, yeah, and... um not not to keep rolling rolling the clips here, but uh, you know he does he talks and this is you know we're we're post World War this is uh, you know what twelve uh, sorry fourteen years after World War One right 
And, you know, and a lot of that, like understanding how much debt that put most of, you know, pretty much all of Europe into, especially Germany. And that debt, that debt led to the rise of, of Adolf Hitler. And then, cause you also, you have to look at uh, how in 19, uh, I think it was 1924 was when Hitler first tried to stage a coup. Right. Yeah. And then got put in prison for like, I don't know, less than a year, wrote his book. And yes. we all know what happened from there we on in. We all know what happened. Yeah, but listening to... Uh, so, okay, he, let me let me set the stage here. So they've moved the... I get, This is like the, the World Leaders Conference. And it was moved to a yacht. Um, and, and actually Hammond has microphones there to broadcast it over the radio because he's like, no, 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 this can't be private. Everyone has to be able to hear what we're saying because we have to be held accountable. And it's, it's such a ballsy move. But the, when he explains how every nation needs to pay their debts from the great war, this is what happens when Germany speaks up. One of the reasons that we entered the Great War was to secure the end of secret diplomacy, to establish throughout the world a fixed policy of open covenants, openly arrived at. Gentlemen, we are at least today fulfilling this great purpose. We are taking the world into our confidence. I will open this conference on the question of war debts with a brief statement of America's side of the controversy. These debts were incurred to save the debtor nations from destruction. The money they received, they pledged their honor to repay. Then the debtor pleaded poverty. The United States compromised the debts by half. This remaining half debtor nation solemnly signed agreements to pay. Gentlemen, are you prepared to pay those debts? For Germany to pay her debts means more taxes on her half-starved people. They may burst into open revolution. Hello? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Well, and then just uh, you know, a few minutes later, he talks about the yeah. What happens if they don't pay their debts? Well, he talks about that. He talks about the also the the evolution of of weaponry, and yes. he he tells you what's going to happen in World War Two. <laughs> the next war will depopulate the earth. Invisible poison gases inconceivably devastating explosives, annihilating death rays, will sweep toward a destruction. Not only the men, but the children who would constitute another generation and the mothers who bear them. Unless man's God-given faculty for utilizing the forces of nature for beneficent purposes shall surpass their vicious genius for destruction, the race of man shall perish from the earth, and the earth shall be left to the less cruel, the less destructive, and the less stupid wild animals. People of the world, I speak to you. Shall we save this world? Shall we restore it to a condition where it can truly be said that there is peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Shall the United States of America build such a navy to force peace? Or shall the other nations agree to eliminate their armaments, balance their budgets, restore honor among nations? The United States would be glad to fall in line with such a movement, but only after the other nations have proven their good faith by convincing action. The very fate of our civilization rests here and now, where it belongs, in the hands of the people of the world. Damn. Well, and before this, he, talk about ballsy, he takes out two, 
U.S. battleships. Yeah. That are there's no one on them. Right. He says like you know they're they're radio controlled. There's no one on there, and he's got planes flying overhead. Yeah. And which he's looks like, really cool. Yeah. For 1933. Well, they, they dive bomb yeah. these two ships and blow up these ships in front of this whole conference. Yeah, because he's talking about antiquated, you know, military weaponry. Yeah. Well, and he's like, we spend all this money on these things. And next thing you know, there's on to the next thing. So why, where's all this money going? And it he convinces the world to <laughs> disarm. Yeah. It's wild it is absolutely wild uh i it's funny because like when i was watching this and that scene happened and he gave that speech i was just like wide-eyed you know jaw on the floor just being like what year did this come out like this is i know wild yeah 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 and, but and then there's some like there is some dystopian shit in there too. Yeah. Coming back to the federal police when they yes uh, they arrest Nick so, Diamond. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna play. <laughs> this is so many clips on this one. I promise that some of these are a little short. But I, uh, I assume you know m- most. I imagine m- most people. Ha- haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, I hope that you're all uh, benefiting from from these clips. But uh, so the president meets with Nick Diamond, the world's biggest uh, racketeer gangster. And uh, he ultimately tells him just like, all right, uh, just so you know, you're totally effed and we're coming after you. And then what happens is I want to say that like Nick Diamond's cronies come and like shoot up the front doors of the white house yeah yeah because they get uh they get pendy and uh this is a scene that um where beak is kind of comforting pendy and uh, you know from the beginning that he's got the hots for her because there's a very male gazy shot uh when she first walks in of him checking her out but then she's off with the president and he's like well Nope. But then after the president becomes a different person, he kind of like takes a shot and gives her a kiss and everything. And then and then this is the moment that comes after that. Beekman, you're fired. I've got a better job for you. It's only a temporary one. I'm forming a mobile unit of the United States Army to be known as the federal police to eliminate gangsters. I want you to head that unit. Yes, sir. I need a man who has suffered a terrible personal hurt. A man whose energy and efficiency will be at white heat. A man ruthless and merciless. Yeah. And then right after that, he's like, so I guess you'll have to postpone the wedding. And it's like, they just had their first kiss. Well, we don't know that. Is, is it their it first kiss? It seems like it's fr- from what we see. And Well, because the way that they talk, I mean, also in that scene, he does, he, Beak, Beak is like, oh, so you know about us? And he's just like, yes, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, he's like, yes, that's fine. That's great. Because, you know, my, my vibe, work. like the, the way that I saw it was like, they have clearly had an attraction to each other and they spend a ton of time together, but have never actually like, you know, made contact until that moment. But who knows? It's a make believe movie. Sometimes it just takes a bunch of gangsters shooting up the front of the White House. I, I mean, know. yeah, it's this classic is, story. I, I don't know what there. security. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, who hasn't? Uh, yeah, so, and I don't know what security was at the White yeah. House initially. What, like, what year at did that the time. Secret Service begin? Yeah, you don't really see the Secret, you don't really see Secret yeah, Service. I don't think that this. this, I don't think it was maybe around at this point. Yeah, you look that up. Uh, and I'm going to play another clip. This is from. It, it just might have been secret. I don't know. It's that secret that you just don't even see them and they don't even do their jobs. But uh, so then what happens is there's a giant raid using these like tanks to uh, to capture Nick Diamond and to get some of his guys. So here is the trial of Nick Diamond with Beak. And this uh, this is a very cool looking scene too. It's like not a normal looking courtroom or anything. It's like very futuristic looking actually. And the dystopian. camera it's very dystopian and the the camera angles uh and the camera movement is for this time really fascinating. So this is the trial of Nick Diamond. This court is convinced that you have as part of your racketeering and extortion committed some 23 homicides. Murders with your own hands. You have instigated dozens more, yet by bribery, by technicalities of the law, you've escaped all punishment. You're the last of the racketeers, Diamond, and why? Because we have in the White House a man who's enabled us to cut the red tape of legal procedures and get back to first principles. An eye for an eye, Nick Diamond. A tooth for a tooth. A life for a life. And then comes the firing squad. (laughs) With the Statue of Liberty in the background. It's, yeah, it's wild. Guys, wow. you gotta watch this movie. <laughs> Check this shit out if you haven't seen it. And by the, sorry, just to throw in here. Uh, so the Secret Service, as one might have guessed, was formed in 1865. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you know, that makes when a sense. president gets assassinated, yeah. you're kind of like, uh, we should have some that, people. That makes sense. But I guess uh, uh, similarly to how the this movie wasn't so... S- concerned about getting the oval office dialed in right they maybe were a little less concerned about how they depicted the secret service if at all there's like a couple guys with him at certain points but like the president is certainly not heavily bodyguarded the way that we're used to seeing it now no and i might have and you know it's you could you could infer that perhaps he has because he's just kind of dis- I mean, he's he's sent Congress home, so yeah. maybe he's just. Oh, I don't need the secret. I've survived a car crash. Yeah, like, I'm literally an angel, so like I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, they they drive up. I mean, regardless of Secret Service, there's there's I guess no front gate security. Nope. Either nope. either that or or they're on the payroll. And by the way, it's hard for me to hear the word racketeer without thinking of the rocketeer. The rocketeer. Oh, totally. Yeah. Speaking of, I guess, organized crime and Nazis and things like that. Yeah, uh, they were there. Not that we're talking about Nazis, but uh, well, although the I mean, federal police, but yeah. that federal police trial and like Beekman, who's just eating it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, if this was made a few years later, I think it would have gone down very differently. Uh, I, I, can't imagine that the parallels, you know, would have been made exactly when this was being made. Um, you know, sometimes it well, takes, you know, a few years or maybe not even that long, but to, to realize like, you know, this is a little similar to what's going on and that's a really bad thing. So maybe we dial this back. 
But, you know, and, and as we know, a lot of people didn't know the severity of what was going on until quite some time later, you know, well, unless you were really in it, in it. And this you know, was just before. Well, yeah, there was no 24 hour news cycle. There yeah, was no internet. Not everybody you was have... Captain Von Trapp who, you know, right. saw what was going on. <sighs> Christopher Plummer. All right. Um, Pour one out. Yeah. And then it's also at this at this point, like when they made Hitler chancellor, the history teacher is going to going to come out here. Yeah. Uh, when Hitler was made chancellor, it was largely to appease his base, which was not the way that German, the way that democracy ran. It wasn't a two party system in, um, you know, especially right. in in the twenties in in Germany. So, like when the Nazi Party first started, you know, um, running candidates they were getting, you know, like a small percentage and you would get like, you know, maybe one seat in the Reichstag and they'd be, okay, good. So we have your voice. Those people are, are represented by that uh -huh. one person and they can't do any good. And a lot of the decision-making that went into appointing Hitler as chancellor, not president, he wasn't, he, he was not ruling the country yet, but they convinced uh, President von Hindenburg to make him chancellor because they were like, this way you can keep an eye on him. Oh, yeah. And and you can maybe like you're like, he's got a following. So this way you you put him in a position of power, you keep an eye on him and, you know, maybe he'll grow into it. Maybe. Right. And I yeah, I kid you not. That was what yeah. that was the the arguments that that were being made. So. But here you've got the president who's really you, you've got a president who goes from being all about small government and, you know, well, that's a local problem. That's a local problem. Yeah. And then he's sending Congress home and he's openly he's like, I'll saying, take care like, of it myself. Right, if it's going to be a dictatorship, fine, it's going to be a dictatorship. And yeah. it's going to but it's going to be a dictatorship that's going to help people, which honestly is how dictatorships start, because that's how dictators take yeah. power. They appeal to to the poor, to the starving masses, the unemployed and say, like, I am the I will do this me. I can yeah. do this for you. And it, it's it's fascinating because you're like, ah, Mm. it's so the intentions are so good and he's like got this great plan to put people to work but wow it's dangerous dangerous territory and i think that and i asked myself a lot as i was watching this what the director um gregory lacava what was his i was like what did he believe uh-huh what did what did he think? By the way, he was nominated twice for Best uh, Academy Award for Best Director for My Man Godfrey and Stage Door. Mm. And I just thought, I was like, is is this what he would want? Or is this, is he showing, like, especially the the trial and then the, the firing squad Right. Is he showing that if we give, if we put too much power in one person's hands, it gets, despite their, their intentions, is that, 
are we heading into dangerous territory? Yeah. Well, something also to think about. Uh, so this is adapted from a novel that came out the same year that was written by Thomas F. Tweed, who was a British soldier in World War One, uh, And... Uh, he was the polit- political advisor to uh, David Lloyd George from 27 until he died. Um, so he's kind of taking this from his, uh, I don't know, experience in the military. And maybe it was kind of like the the fantasy of like, you know, how could we get all these things that we want? Like, what are going to be the effects of this war that I fought in. And, you know, uh, as far as I can tell, he doesn't have any allegiance to the third Reich. <laughs> um, you know, he seemed to be on the, on the, the right side of things, but you know, it, it's, it seems to me like it's just genuinely a, a fantasy of, you know, getting world peace. And, uh, you know, religious allegory included. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of, that's really, I mean, the, the last thing that happens, and I guess that's kind of the argument for the fantasy that the the angel Gabriel mm-hmm. also played in film by Christopher Walken in The Prophecy. <laughs> right. Much different version. Uh, is that he he dies right after signing this uh, document that, I guess is meant to ensure world peace. Yeah. And it's a, I don't know. It's not an unexpected moment, but no, no, it's, it's, it's very much like the end of Dave, you know, he, he does what he needs to do. And then he, in this, in, in Dave, he is acting, you know, as, as having a stroke and passing things on to the, you know, setting things right so that it can go on to this, uh, to, to vice president Nance, who is going to do a great yeah. job as president, you know, and it's Though just like, we don't even know who, we don't even know who the vice president is in this. <laughs> no, it's a guy at the beginning. Who's just like, all right, I'm the vice president. See ya. Yep. To go yeah, do my vice president uh, thing. Yeah, he's just uh it's right after the inauguration and he's like shaking hands with everyone and he's like I hope I do a um uh, he's like oh, you know, oh, my vice yeah. president whatever blah 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 and he's like I hope I sleep well tonight and he makes some joke about like well as vice president that's kind of all you have to be concerned with or whatever. Yeah. You shouldn't have any yeah. problems. Well, and that's so you brought up Dave and that kind of segues us into the what are we going to you know, what do we do with this? Yeah. Because Dave comes across as like a very loose remake of this. So it's interesting that you say that. And uh, I wanted to mention that, oh, I wrote it down in my notes somewhere, but there we go. Okay. So Arthur Byron, who plays uh, the Secretary of State, Jasper, Jasper Brooks, the final movie that he was in was The Prisoner of Zenda, which is the same plot as Dave. The person who did the score for um, Gabriel Over the White House, the very first thing he did was the score to the original Prisoner of Zenda in the 20s. And, you know, it's it's a very frequently remade thing. And that's the same plot as Dave and Moon Over Parador. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to me that there's... Uh, 
you know, a lot of these same similar themes going on and all these connections to kind of the same material that comes up time and time again. And, um, yeah, I, when I was watching it, I, of course, was thinking of like, how could this come back? And I, as we're talking about Dave, want to mention, you know, if, if you remember one of my ideas from Dave, uh, alludes to the moment where uh, Larry King is interviewing Oliver Stone, who seems to have figured out that this has gone on. I would love to also see an Oliver Stone movie all about the Hammond presidency and how there's this theory that it was actually like a, uh, you know, dissociative identity disorder, split personality type thing. I mean, I don't think that he's going to bring in, you know, uh, Gabriel into the conversation, but maybe like it's mentioned as somebody's theory, but it's like, you know, setting something, an Oliver Stone movie in, in the world where this took place. But my other idea, the one that I guess was more forward in my mind is what does the world look like about 90 years after a Hammond presidency like what is this world like you know do we regress back into you know this maybe two-party system and you know constant war debt and and glorification of the military and you know advancement of military weaponry and things like that and just constant spending and organized crime and you know so uh, that's kind of where my mind went is just like, you know, what is the result of this almost a hundred years in the future? And, Mm. you know, of course I thought of people like Alex Garland or Denny Villeneuve who could, you know, who have done things about this kind of like futuristic world that we could be living in. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of where my mind was. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I couldn't get the idea, you know, the thought of Dave out of my head. But yeah, but thinking about how the pendulum kind of swings back and forth. Right. And we tend to go from the more progressive or liberal to more conservative. And, you know, sometimes the, and as with an actual pendulum, the further it swings in one direction, the further it swings in the other. So, what if you had a and i i don't think i was thinking quite as far into the future and i was thinking more of like you know an alternate 19 you know 50 or something where where world war 2 maybe doesn't happen when it happened yeah but maybe you have a uh um, organized crime figure, yeah, who goes legit and comes to power and wins the wins the presidency. And I, I mean, I mean that in like you know someone like a Nick Diamond, who right, yeah, because the the system of government in the U.S. has been totally torn down by Hammond. Well, and now there's also precedent for that. Yeah. So even if and also, like Hammond, and Hammond is not going to be, you know, president. So who knows? The vice president could come in, yeah, and undo everything. He just he or, wakes up from his uh, sleep after the inauguration. It's just like, oh, that was a long one. What did I miss? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of that's the the way to go with this is what happens when you have the the precedent set that the president can do all these things. Yeah. And I mean, because you also have to think like from these policies, how many of the how many people that make up like you know the rich and the rich and powerful are still going to be rich and powerful mm -hmm. but now they're really their their wealth and power is somewhat threatened and like what do they do to adapt and i feel like it it just would swing back but now do you end up having do you end up having the country in a in a worse place? Mm -hmm. Who do you have that's that's leading? Who do you have that that comes to power in the wake of this? I, I mean, what he dies and what happens? Who brings? You know, does Congress come back in session? Yeah, it that's an interesting question, and it's you know movies now maybe would give you more closure but i feel like older movies even going back to like the man it's like all right we've finished that storyline and you know we don't know right. what happens next and i mean the book tells you a lot more but uh you know it's similar situation here where it's just like, all right, we have wrapped up all of the things that we wanted to do in this movie and uh that's it the end he dies, and I'm not even roll credits because this was made in 1933. So yeah. it just they've the already end. rolled the credits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I think that, and I and I don't know that I would go with like the immediate because also you would have this whole thing like, well, we got to make good on all this stuff because he has you know all the world leaders have he signed his name to the paper. Yeah. So, but again, we don't know what the wording of this document is and how sure. many, how many, you know, representatives, how many Congress people are looking for loopholes, loopholes in it. Yeah. How many do you have? Do you have like the, the CEO of the, you know, company that, the, I'm like the, the company that makes, that makes battleships. Uh, oh yeah. Mil Milton Bradley. Uh, <laughs> yeah do, do they like does this person is this person like well i guess there's only one way to to get things back the way they were i'm gonna run for president which also kind of echoes um the the trump presidency in that during the obama um during obama's presidency so much of what happened in in with environmental regulations and put yes. and pushing for towards what we now what we're calling the green new deal uh kind of you know shifted the focus of wealth from uh fossil fuel corporations and, and companies over to you know renewable energy and you had you know uh, trump the war on coal is over yeah didn't know there was a war on coal, but hey, uh, and all and, you know, him coming into power and removing a lot of the, the environmental protections and swinging things back to that old wealth and that old power. 
And it's really this battle between progress and and the struggle to keep there's the struggle for progress, but then there's also the struggle to keep the status quo, to hang on to the status quo no matter what. Which right. I I I see it as I see I mean change is inevitable. I think progress is inevitable and trying to suppress it might work in the short term. But in the end, I think progress happens. It, it, it's it's just a matter of what the cost of it is. So do we do we end up having do we end up uh, having like a a political battle between the the wealthy the old? Do we have like more? Does does our sequel to Gabriel over the White House? You know, Gabriel uh, Gabriel's back again. Gabriel's back. I don't know. Yeah. Do we have do we have a a more extreme version of the two of two party politics, whereas really like, you know, a, a lot of Democrats are more towards the middle and you, you we're starting to see more uh, progressive Democrats being elected to Congress and, uh, you know, being appointed by, uh, you know, Biden. But does our sequel to Gabriel over the White House leave us with uh, really like, you know, a more of a, you know, socialist party? Right. Up against a, uh, you know, not just a, a, a quote unquote Republican party, but like capitalist, the yeah. capitalist party. Do we really because so much of this is focused on i mean like they t- the the war is on like war and battle and those costs are almost an after th- they're related to the employment issue but the em- unemployment issue and the depression is really what's pushing this and getting people back to work so i mean maybe 10 like 10 20 years later like we are socialist. Maybe it's the like socialist United States of, the, of America. The Hamidists, you know that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the 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 Hamidists and the uh, I don't know. <laughs> no one else really has a name that that's mentioned. <laughs> no, yeah. No. The other, I mean, but yeah, but like, do you, instead of Republican Democrat, do you really have like a balls out socialist party and capitalist party? Or is it a world like the future of Bill and Ted, where it's all just governed by music and everything just works? Be excellent to each other. Be excellent to that's each other. That's really what that's really what Hammond wants. Yeah, absolutely. Be excellent to each yeah, other. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I mean, you mentioned the the tie between you know uh, the depression and you know military spending and stuff like that but it's just like you know they lay it out in that very first press conference and that's those are the three issues that people are concerned about and so this movie is going to address those very three issues and uh you know maybe they're connected maybe they're not but that's just what they chose to do because everybody loves a good gangster so you gotta certainly well i mean there's they're certainly certainly connected and uh you know like the repealing prohibition leads to i mean he's saying like why shouldn't these people you know what have a drink you know yeah 
Well, anyway, uh, great movie. Please watch it. Uh, yeah, these clips don't do it justice. It's uh, a really fascinating watch, and uh, for any of the the like the junkies out there for pre-code cinema, um, talking about the Hayes Code that uh, kind of came into play in, in '34. Uh, it was it went from '34 to like '68. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde being kind of like the one of the straws uh, that that broke the camel's back, and uh, I, I I just looked it up. I can't remember what the first movie that was uh, post Hayes Code was, but uh, it's a uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, I think. But it's um it's really interesting because the Hayes Code was essentially pre MPAA. Uh, where it was basically just like movies can't have these things, no nudity or too much drinking and blah, 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 and whatever. And pre code, and it, that was in response to these movies that came out before 1934 that were just like, you know, breaking rules that hadn't been invented yet. And, uh, when you know it was finally decided like you know maybe instead of just censoring everything we create this system where it's like just so you know this is movie's going to have this stuff in it to so look out well yeah and your your these movies according to the code had to they had to push like a, a, a quote unquote appropriate morals and i mean like straight up i think what they would be called at the, like christian morals christian, yeah. i think um and in fact they're uh, just looking uh looking at an article here from from men's health of course the authority on cinema yeah um but where it it actually was shown that um joseph breen began heading the production code administration in 34 and was apparently anti-Semitic mm. and blamed Jewish studio heads for the perceived decadence. In oh, films. it's Soros. So <laughs> did you get your check? No. Oh. Uh, um, <laughs> Soros and his space lasers. Yeah. Uh, so uh, also, and, and I believe that right after the, the Hayes Code kind of got uh removed and, and replaced with the MPAA, that's when uh, you know, like Midnight Cowboy, an X-rated movie, wins the Academy Award. So it's like it's cement further cementing that, you know, this is a a, a system that shouldn't be put in place. And yeah, there's a lot of uh pre-code cinema junkies out there uh who have probably <laughs> seen Gabriel at the White uh, over the White House and um yeah. Uh, and now we've seen it too, <laughs> and we hope and that then you after, do. Yeah, no, I was gonna say the the code went away, and Hollywood went balls out, literally. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, this thus concludes our month of uh, fictional president movies. It's been uh, a really fun ride. I'm glad that we kind of went a little all over the place. Um, I love that we went off the beaten path with uh, with the man and Gabriel over the White House. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly was, so many other president movies that, you know, we could devote an entire podcast to. And I believe that there are some podcasts that are just devoted to fake president movies. So anyway, I'm wondering if any of them have or will cover Gabriel over the White House. But Dan, I uh, let's talk about what we're going to be doing, not just next 
uh, next week on the podcast, but our, our, our March theme. Yeah. So our March theme, and I mean, John, this is kind of your, your brainchild here <laughs> is films whose titles have become part of the uh, common vernacular, the, uh, the modern lexicon. Know, yeah. Yeah. And, like, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, it's something that fascinates me is that uh, a word or phrase can can come into everyday vocabulary that did not exist before a movie made it exist. And we will not only be talking about movies whose titles have this type of thing, but also movies that have um, words or phrases in them that did not exist before these movies uh, not that we're going to do a whole movie about them, but for example, like, you know, if not for the movie American Pie, we would not have the word MILF. So, right. and think about how often you, you see and hear that, you know, ever since American Pie came out. So, um, if not for Cannibal the Musical, we would not have Spadoinkle. Spadoinkle, that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> so, we're going to, sorry, we're going to kick it off yeah. uh, with with uh, Rob Reiner's film The Bucket List starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and it's funny because uh when I two people who have been fictional presidents. Yeah, absolutely. Deep Impact, yeah. Mars Attacks. Um uh was it White No, uh Angel Has Fallen or what is it? There's like Oh, a whole was he trilogy. also the president in the Has Fallen movies? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's uh, the but yeah, so so yeah. bucket list I think is a really interesting one because people don't realize that before this movie came out, what like twenty years ago, uh, not even two uh, thousand seven. Yeah, okay, so not even it just it didn't exist. This wasn't a thing. It was created by this movie, and uh, yeah. I think that's really fun. And I and I've never seen it, so I'm I'm really excited to to check it out. And if anybody has any movies that they want us to cover that fit this description email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com we have a list right now that has four on it and there are five tuesdays in march and we release on tuesdays so we still have one more that we're trying to one more slot that we that we want to fill so uh if you have any ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com you can follow Mm -hmm. us on instagram at ruinedchildhoodspod twitter is at ruined underscore pod Find our merch on tpublic.com. Maybe we'll make a Gabriel over the White House uh, shirt. Um, maybe a, a Hammond for President bumper sticker. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. I think this is a movie. This is a movie that more people should know about. And I I hope that we've done our job in um, spreading awareness of Gabriel over the White House. Yeah. So, so Dan, as as you and President Hammond are zipping down the road at a at a hot ninety miles per hour, I bid you a good journey. Good journey and have a spadoinkle day. Do you hear that playing? Yes, I hear that playing. Do you know who's playing? No, who is that playing? Why it's Gabriel, Gabriel playing, Gabriel, Gabriel saying. Will you be ready to go when I blow my horn?